On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Second Shot Sit-Down. It's Jenny Anchondo here. I am loving just doing these sit-downs and the goal behind this is that it brings inspiration to you or gives you a second perspective at something, you know, maybe that somebody else has gone through. I think so often we can just get so wrapped up in what's going on for us and we put blinders on and forget to look at the experiences of other people um, so that we can empathize, but also so we can learn from them. And our guest today is somebody, oh my gosh, I've been trying to get him on, <laughs> I've been trying to get him on the show for a very long time. And I have to tell you the story. Actually, I think Heath and I have talked about this during our regular second shot episodes is that we saw the movie, same kind of different as me, or Heath saw it. And it was like, Jenny, you've got to see the story. You're not going to believe it. Um, this guy, Ron Hall, he was like this famous art dealer, you know, successful businessman, millionaire. He is a story about how he met this homeless guy and it changed his life and he happens to be local. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, so, so we watched the movie and I'm not kidding you. Like a few days later, we show up at a dinner and Ron Hall is there with his fabulous wife, Beth, and we, we meet them. And this, this, this interview has been a long time in the making and welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Isn't this that is wild? Uh, our third take for second shot. Oh my lord. You guys, we've <laughs> interviewed I've already recorded this interview twice and then uh, technical difficulties or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I figure like there must be some reason why we were supposed to record it a third time. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the story never changes, so we're good. <laughs> so we you know your story, right? right. Yeah, you you're going to know your story. So for people who haven't I know that so many people have read the book or seen the movie. You guys Renee Zellweger was in it. Um, a lot of other uh, well-known Yeah, actors. Greg Kinnear played me. John Boyd played my father. Jaiman Hansu uh, played uh, my best friend, Denver. Oh, it's so awesome. So tell people kind of, for those who haven't read the book or seen the movie, uh, or maybe they need a refresher, sort of the premise of the, the book and the movie. Well, in thinking about second shots, most people that have read the book, and millions have read it, it was the number one New York Times bestseller. And um, most people think the second shot was for my homeless friend, Denver, uh, also known as Suicide. But really, the, the best second shot was for me because it gave me another chance on life to redeem uh, yeah. some of my past uh, that needed re redemption. Would it be saying too much to say that you were not living a very, I don't know, godly life, upstanding life? What, how well, how you would know, you characterize your life before meeting Denver, a.k.a. suicide? I'd say that I, I was living uh, a on the surface what most people would uh, think would have been a godly life. I was a deacon in a church. I was uh, tithing to the, to the ministries and uh, doing a lot of good for things, but I had a, a secret life. I was carrying on an affair and, uh, and destroying a marriage. So that, that I'm very, very uh, sorry for that. And uh, that's one of the reasons I believe that uh, God gave us such a great story of redemption. He gave me a second shot through the most unlikely person that I would have ever dreamed about. 
But quickly to go back to the story. Yeah. Uh, in 1998, so it's hard to imagine that was 23 years ago. Oh my ago gosh. Now. <laughs> I can't believe that was 23 years ago. <laughs> 23 years ago, uh, I had was getting ready to kind of wind down a very successful career as an international art dealer. I had traveled the world, buying and selling masterpieces to museums and famous people. And I, uh, we had bought a ranch uh, 10 years earlier in Palo Pinto County on the Brazos River. And I wanted to become a cowboy and, uh, and rancher and still do the art part-time. And my wife wanted just to continue to be a civic leader not civic leader, but a volunteer. Sure, be and, in the community yes, and do well, her part. Well, she was all into uh, the poor and the homeless and things like that. I was not at that time uh, involved too much in what she was doing. But uh, we decided to leave Dallas and go back to Fort Worth, which uh, it was 50 miles closer to our ranch. So, uh, And I could go to the ranch back and forth each day and not mm -hmm. have to... Uh, uh, mess up our family life too sure. much. But anyway, the the first week that we were back, uh, that we moved back to Fort Worth, uh, my wife, Debbie, had a literal dream uh, about a homeless man, and then she saw his face. And in her dream, she said it was like the verse in Ecclesiastes from the Bible, where Solomon wrote that there was found in the city a certain poor man who was wise, but and by his wisdom, the city was changed, and yet no one knew his name. She said... Ron, I dreamed of this man in our city. I saw his face, and I know that our lives will be changed if we can go find him, and then I'll know that my dream was really from God. And, and I didn't think she was crazy because she was really an honors graduate from TCU, and I was a dishonorable graduate from TCU. <laughs> and she was very much a woman of faith, from what I understand, too, very, very much connected a woman of to, to yes. her faith. And I say that at that point in our life, we were... Uh, she was a God chaser, and I was a money chaser. And so our lives had taken different paths. And uh, that was our purpose in life. Her purpose was chasing after the Almighty God. Mine was chasing after the Almighty Dollar. <laughs> but uh, so, and 10 years before that, in 1988, I had uh, an affair, and I had confessed it to my wife. And she uh, said, if you will never do this again, I will never bring it up again. I thought, wow, for that kind of forgiveness, I said, I will do anything you ask me the rest of our lives together. And she only asked me to be faithful, and I was. So uh, 10 years later, she has this dream and wants me to go into the inner city of Fort Worth to find this homeless man who's going to change our lives. And I'm guessing you weren't inclined to do that, but you had made the promise, so it was like, okay, fine. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay, so sure. Let's so go I was for. reluctant, but that day I said, "Okay, I'll go with you." I said, "Who are we looking for?" She said, "I'll know him when I see him." So we start driving the city uh, where all the homeless people hang out near downtown and under the bridges, and we didn't see him that first day. But we dropped. We uh, drove by a, a, a old rundown homeless mission that looks just like a, a flop house soup kitchen, uh -huh. and. Uh, so Debbie said, well, let's volunteer. Let's go in and volunteer to start serving an evening meal because if, if he really is in this neighborhood, sooner or later he will come through for a free meal. So we did, and we'd been there about two weeks serving an evening meal when all of a sudden this giant-looking man wearing no shirt and no shoes and just some raggedy old britches storms into the dining hall as we're serving the evening meal and starts screaming he's going to kill everybody in the dining hall. He said, I'm going to kill whoever done it. 
I'm going to kill whoever stole my shoes. And I've never been so scared in my life. So I hit my knees behind, fell to my knees and, and behind the stainless steel serving counter and kind of stuck my head in a, in a hole where, uh, where we had, there'd been big pots and pans. And, uh, well, I'm a big chicken because I got knocked out in the Golden Gloves in high school <laughs> and I didn't ever want to take a punch in the nose again. And I could feel this fight was getting very close to me. But all of a sudden, after I hear this pandemonium and I, and I have a moment of clarity and I thought, well, I wonder what happened to Debbie. Gosh, poor Debbie. <laughs> Debbie's out there fending for herself. <laughs> yes, she was. But she was excited. I look out from my hiding place and she is jumping up and down like a cheerleader on the sideline of a football game. And she's saying, that's him. him. That's him. And by then there were probably 20 people fighting. And uh, I said, well, which one? And she said, the one who threatened to kill everybody. And then she looked at me still down on my knees and she said, and Ron, I believe I heard from God that you have to be his friend and find out if my dream is real. And I said, but Debbie, I was not at that meeting you had with God. If I'm going to be friends with someone who wants to kill any, everybody, I want, I, want, I want to talk to God myself. So I asked the homeless man who was helping us serve the meal. I said, well, who is that guy? He said, nobody knows his name. But most people call him suicide because messing with him is the equivalent of committing suicide. Oh. He said, he's dangerous and he's crazy. He said, I'd stay away from him if I were you. But you had made the promise to Debbie, right? I and, made she the had, and she, to her word, never brought up the affair. Never. That's never. I want to pause on that for just a minute. That is unbelievable to me. Well, I mean, you know, I, believe, I, I believe you. Yes. But 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 what do you think it was about her that made her say, like, find out and not get angry and not leave you, you know, or, or, or what, what well, was Well, you know, it? That it, in the Bible, it talks about throwing your sin as far as the East is from the West, you know, being a Christian, that that's what, you know, Christ does. He I mean, throws I know it sin. says that. <laughs> I know. Well, I've never had experienced that. Uh -huh. And most people haven't. But that's one of the things of our book, uh, one of the stories in our book, that really means the most to a lot of people who are going through that. And I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of times as I've done over a thousand events on behalf of our book in the homeless, uh, that people have waited in line to tell me their story and how just that saved their marriage. By just giving that forgiveness and, and giving the person a second shot mm -hmm. at, at being a better husband wow. or a better wife. Yeah. Wow. What, what, was uh, I'm going to go back to I want to go back to the story, but since we're on this topic, um, what, can you characterize your marriage be, before while you were having the affair? You know, how long was this going on? Do you think that well, your it wife was eight, knew? We had been married 18 years, uh -huh. and um, and I was doing very well. The, the the month that I began this, I had just made a million dollars in one month, and yet my wife and I were had not been intimate in months, and so I thought I would reward myself. For, uh, for your it, successes, uh, for your... And I was traveling all over the world, and she was raising our children, and I would want her to go with me, but, you know, she was more dedicated, as a woman should be, and, and I was proud of her for that, but I was also resentful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was conflicted. I felt like she wasn't there for you and for, yes. for your needs. And... and she wasn't, she didn't care anything about the fact that I just made a million dollars. That didn't mean anything to her, only if I was going to be giving my portion of it to the church <laughs> <laughs> or the homeless ministries <laughs> where she was working. To pay up to her causes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys were just really in, 
in two different directions. Do you think that she knew during this time, like, okay, he's not with me, surely he's with somebody else no. then, or needs she had company? No idea. Or... no idea. Because at home, you would have never known that. I was very uh, loving, very faithful, and, and, uh, and, and, a, and a very good father. Um, all those kind of things. No one had any idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, I didn't, and, and she didn't bust me out on this either. She didn't tell anybody. And it was only after she went to heaven and I said, I have a really great story to tell of forgiveness and, and how the net result from a forgiveness and saving a marriage that is worth telling. And so when I began telling this story, some of my friends said, wait a second, nobody had any idea. Why would you be telling that now? Because it's an important part of the story of a godly woman forgiving an ungodly person and saving a marriage. And then God gave us a beautiful story. And, and, and if I remember correctly, she called this woman. She did. Right. Ex explain how that all went down. Well, when I, I confessed with a little help, I mean, I actually told my lawyer what had happened. And he told me uh, it happened to him as well and that uh, his wife kicked him out and he was getting a divorce. So when his wife, he, so he went to tell his wife, you're not going to believe that Ron has done the same thing. And so she called me and said, hey, uh, if you don't tell Debbie, I am. And I said, okay, I'll go tell her. <laughs> oh, That wait. was in the movie. So you yes. saw that in the movie yes. of a girl walking up to me at a big art uh, function, uh, yep. a, a, a gala, and saying that that was real. That yeah. Happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then you were like, okay, this is what happened. Yes. Well, it wasn't pleasant. I mean, I went home and I told her. And she she picked up a coffee cup and threw it right at me. Uh-huh. Fair. And yes, fair enough. And it bounced off the wall, uh, you know, right next to an Andy Warhol that could have done a lot of damage. But, I but, mean, but I she didn't care about Andy Warhol. We've learned anything. enough about her. That was her. just yeah. to her. She didn't care about anything like that. So it didn't mean anything to, uh, that she had uh, uh, when, when she threw that coffee. It was She was aiming at me and missed. Mm -hmm. And uh, But... Um, it took uh, within 24 hours, but this actually probably four or five hours into this is when she came in and she said, who was it? Who is the woman? And I told her and she said, the woman was from L.A. and We were living in uh, Dallas. So she said, uh, I said, this woman right here. She said, she said, do you have her number? I said, yeah. So she got my phone, called her, and she said, I know uh, what you've been doing with my husband, and I want you to know I forgive you. And then I, she, she said, if I had been the wife that my husband had needed, you would have never had the opportunity to know him. But you must be a really wonderful person because my, because my husband has been a great father and, and husband up until now. And um, so I hope that you find someone that will love you as much as Ron used to love me. And I, she wow. said, and I think she said, if I do my job as a wife, I don't think you will ever hear from my husband again. And did she? Oh, did she ever? She became, this is why we had a story to tell. Yeah. People were saying, wow, what's going on with your marriage? We've never seen you so happy. We've never seen, you know, you together so much. And all of the things that, you know, everyone hopes for in a marriage 
all was happening in our marriage. And so people were calling and asking us to counsel them in their marriage mm -hmm. well, without ever it, telling them why we did it. It happens so often. Yeah, it yeah. happens so it happens so often. I yeah. think that that will, will be, you know, not everybody has, does, has God come to them in a dream and tell them you're going to see this man. But a lot of people have been through this similar situation. So I find that story very interesting that um, that you were able to go on and have, you know, before she passed, right. have just this really beautiful finish to a marriage. What was it like to be in a relationship that had um, so much love and, and fun? And it sounds like even spontaneity. Well, it was as if that you had already gone to heaven and had everything you wanted and everything was beautiful. And life was beautiful. God blessed us financially. Uh, he blessed us with... Uh, uh, a great family with uh, great friends. We we had anything that everyone in, in life wishes they could have, and uh, and and we had also we had a friend that no one else in the world really had too. We became friends with suicide. Mm -hmm. We were the first people to ever be his friends. L let's go, let's go back to him and to that story. So, so she says, okay, you've got to be friends with him. Everyone else says that's basically suicide to be yes. friends with him. But you did, you started to engage with him. You started to, to form this, this friendship and really like a bridge. Well, uh, in Debbie's dream, he was a poor man who was wise and his wisdom is what would change our city. His wisdom is what would change our lives. And, uh, so I, at her pursuit after the threat, after he threatened to kill everyone, the next day, I began um, a literal pursuit of him almost daily for five months. And I would see him almost every day uh, uh, living under the bridges or in the hobo jungles or hanging out, you know, somewhere. And I would try to approach him and he would take off. So it took me five months to get him in my car. And I, we went to breakfast one morning and, it, you know, we tell all that story in our book, yeah. Same Kind of Different as Me. And uh, you see a brief version of it in our film, Same Kind of Different as Me. But it was really five months, and I get him in the car, and we go to breakfast one morning. He said, man, what is it you want from me? Y'all have been driving me crazy. I've had no peace in my life since you and your skinny little wife showed up on the street. He said, can you tell that woman to leave me alone? I said, no, I can't tell her to leave you alone because she's on a mission from God. And he said, well, what is it y'all want from me? I said, man, I just want to be your friend. He looked at me, and he said, you won't be my friend? And I said, yeah, that's all I want. Well, I was lying to him even then. Because you didn't, didn't want to be, want to his, be friend. his friend. You wanted to keep your promise. I was doing this for Debbie. Yeah. She wanted me to be his friend. So <laughs> That's um, sometimes what it takes. You know, that's sometimes <laughs> yes. what it takes. So he said, I said, I just want to be your friend. And he said, well, man, I'm going to have to think about that. And I, that just <laughs> got just all like over me. <laughs> that just got all over me because I thought, Hey, buddy, you just looked a gift horse in the mouth, which is a great Texas expression, you know. <laughs> so you can tell how, how good a horse is a lot of times by looking at their mouth. And so uh, I said, you just looked a gift horse in the mouth. And, and I, I was so arrogant. I thought, here is a man. I'm rich. I have everything. And I can give him anything he wants. Anything that my wife tells me to do for him, I'm going to do for him. New clothes, an apartment, a house, a car. I can do it all. And he wants to think about being my friend. That's how arrogant I was and thinking he had nothing to offer me in a friendship. And what did you ultimately find out about what he can offer you? I know the answer here, but yes. I want to hear from well, you. Um, a couple of weeks later, I saw him taking trash. A couple of days later, I saw him taking trash out of the, the dumpster. And, uh, 
And I said, you want to go get some coffee? And he said, yes. So we went to get coffee at Starbucks and we're sitting there and he said, I've been thinking about what you asked me. I said, what did I ask you? It required any thought. He said, you asked me if I would be your friend. And I said, I sure did. So what do you think? He said, well, I heard uh, something about white folks that really bothers me and it's got to do with fishing. And I said, well, Denver, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know that I can answer your question. And he said, well, I bet you can. And I said, okay. He said, uh, I heard when white folks go fishing, they do this thing they call catch and release. I said, oh, yeah. I said, sport. You don't get it? He said, no, sir, I don't get it. I didn't know that was a white person thing. Because back in Louisiana on a plantation where I grew up, you know, we would go out and cut us a cane pole in the morning and dig us a can full of worms. We'd sit on the riverbank. When we caught something and got it on our line, we were proud of what we caught, and we'd take it back and share it with all the folk at the plantation. He said, so it occurred to me, if you're just a white man fishing for a friend and you're going to catch and release, I ain't got no desire to be your friend. But fair point. If you're fishing for a real friend, then I'll be your friend for life. Wow. I mean, if I'd ever heard from God in my life, I mean, I, I thought this is wisdom. Uh-huh. I have Never heard wisdom like this in my life. This must be the poor man who is wise of Debbie's dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, okay, Denver, if you will be my friend, I will not catch and release. And so the next morning I, I took him back to the mission. He's, he lived in a dumpster near the mission. So I took him back to his dumpster. And the next morning I went and sat on the curb with him. Um, by the dumpster, and I enrolled in what I called the University of Denver, because his name was Denver. <laughs> so you started learning from his wisdom. And so that next morning, he looked at me, and, and I, I, was st- I was still scared of him, because he was crazy. And I sat down, and, and he just was in silence, and he kind of was staring at me, and I thought, I need to break the, the uh, mm-hmm. silence. And I said, so, can you tell me what's it like to be homeless? He said, I don't know, why don't you tell me? I said, well, I'm not homeless. I live in a very beautiful home. I don't know what it's like. He said, let me tell you something, Mr. Ronnie Ray. He says that uh, whether we is rich or whether we is poor or something in between, this earth ain't no final resting place. He says, so in a way, we're all homeless, uh, just working our way home. Uh, and that's the title of oh, my new book, my God. Working Our Way Home. And that kind of covers your you and Denver after you're living together at that point, you guys, like, spoiler well, alert. At that, but fast forward a, a few days after, uh, I mean, five months after we became friends, uh, he told me one day, he said, what, what Miss Debbie is doing for the homeless uh, here in Fort Worth, she's become precious to God. He said, when you become precious to God, you become important to Satan. He said, watch your backside. Something bad getting ready to happen to Miss Debbie. And three days later, she oh. was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, and most bumps. doctors thought she would live uh, three months to six months. The good news, she lived 19 months. But during this 19 months, the man that I once thought had nothing to offer me in a friendship stayed up all night long praying for me and my family and Miss Debbie. And he would show up at our front doorstep every morning, bringing us a word of encouragement uh, from, uh, from what he had gleaned after hours on his knees in prayers talking to God, and he would bring us something. Uh, he told us things that we uh, didn't even know would happen, but they did happen. He became the person God chose to be to encourage us through the darkest 19 months of our lives. 
Wow. He was, where did, where did he draw his faith from? Was that part of how he was raised or part of just his life and upbringing? It was part of how he was raised on a plantation huh? and they had nothing. And, uh, and, and just you know, the church that they went to on Sunday was their faith. That's what encouraged them. And, uh, but on the last day of her life, he came to tell me, this is going to be, Miss Debbie's going to heaven tonight. God told me to tell you that she's, she's going home. And uh, so she went, he went in to see her, and uh, he had, uh, well, something that I didn't tell you earlier is back on the plantation when he was a young teenage boy, uh, when he was, he was roped and dragged by the Ku Klux Klan for helping a white woman change a flat tire on the plantation. And the Klansman made him a promise he would never again speak to a white person. So that's why he was so afraid to engage with us. And, he didn't and, know where you were com where, yes. where you're coming from or if you knew those people. If he was being just, set up. Right, 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 right. And so, but he, he came in the last day she was alive and he kneeled beside her bed and he said, Miss Debbie, uh, uh, she, he said, God told me to tell you to lay down your torch for the homeless. And God told me, he said, Denver, you pick up Miss Debbie's torch and you carry it for the homeless for the rest of your life so that she can come on home. And so uh, she asked him to speak at her service and, uh, and share their friendship and share the dream and vision that she had for a new mission, a new homeless mission. And, um, and then I went in to see her and she said, Ron, please don't give up on Denver. God is going to bless your friendship in a way that you can never imagine. And a few hours later, she transitioned to heaven. So Denver um, uh, spoke at her service uh, three days later. And uh, he shared uh, how that after all these years on the streets, she was the first person that really ever spoke to him or asked his name. But he said, I was a bad man. I was a crazy man. And uh, but he said that uh, God is a, a God of second chances. And so he, he missed Debbie. She just kept blessing me and blessing me and blessing me. Until she finally blessed the hell right out of me. <laughs> I love that sentence. I just love the thought of that. Yeah. And 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 thinking about how we can all in our own small ways, you know, try to get a second shot by you know, by blessing other people. I think that that happens so often. Maybe not in in such a an obvious way as this, but I think if we look for it, it can happen in our regular, you know, everyday lives. Yes. So then so then after Debbie passed and you you both I mean, you guys are both grieving. Um, and then how did your friendship continue on after that? Well, um, I did exactly what Debbie asked me not to do. After she died, Denver and I spent a month together at our ranch. We buried her at the ranch and we built a proper cemetery and a beautiful rock wall around it and arches. And, uh, and then I took off for Italy and spent five months in Italy where I began writing the story. And I was there after five months and I woke up one morning and I realized that I had promised Debbie not to catch and release Denver and promised him I wouldn't catch and release. So I came back home, went into the hobo jungle where I found him and asked him to move in with me. And you'll see all this in the film. Yeah, that's you'll so see good. it and rehear it in the book. But uh, Denver and I ended up living together for uh, more than 12 years. And uh, we traveled all across America. We were roommates. <laughs> We raised, helped raise more than $100 million for the homeless and built new uh, homeless missions and refurbished older homeless missions all across America in honor of Miss Debbie. So 
Just, just unbelievable. And you have gone on, obviously, to um, to remarry and to, to continue to spread this mission. How how did what what you like what you experienced in in your marriage to Debbie influence you know relationships moving forward after that? Well, first of all, it's uh, I was single for eleven years after Debbie died. Because uh, I didn't think any woman would want to marry somebody who spends all day long talking about his late wife, you know. So I wondered about that because <laughs> that's what you were doing and, in these speeches, so right? That, in fact, one of the first ladies that I dated said, you just need to get over this and never bring it up again. And uh, no one is going to be interested in this story because, you know, you have you're an art dealer. You're not a homeless advocate. And that's. So that relationship didn't last very long. How's she doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Beth was the first one to uh, really, uh, I'd say, embrace the fact that I uh, would, would be continuing to do this the rest of my life. And she signed on to do it as well. Yeah. So she, we have a foundation, same kind of different as me foundation. And she really runs that and works hard at, at that, keeping uh, Debbie's memory alive, though she never met Debbie or uh, doesn't yeah. even, didn't know anything about her. Uh, when Beth and I married, she moved in with Denver and me. So <laughs> what was that like? Well, Beth's and on our first person. date, I said, you know, I, I have a homeless man that lives with me. And she said, why would you do that? <laughs> well, wasn't, what a good way to get the lady to come over, right? <laughs> And she was a little intimidated by him when she first came to meet him because he wasn't the most friendly person. He didn't laugh a lot. He was very serious. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he did not like uh, to be touched or hugged. So she said, uh, oh, I'm a hugger. Can I hug you? He was like, no. And he's got, well, yeah, I guess. But, he, you know, uh, she softened him up a lot. And, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but, it, you know, I'm, I miss him terribly because... Uh, he went to be with the Lord on March 31st of 2012, uh, and so Debbie died in 2000. Mm -hmm. So we were together. He and I were together 12 years. Wow! And and I would love to hear about just this next body of work, and um, and in sort of sort of what what that book details. I know that obviously well, people can read this, the book. This but. book here is subtitled right here. It's called Ron Hall Working Our Way Home, and uh, I write it in our both of our voices, like I did. Same kind of different uh -huh. as me. Because uh, Denver had such a different outlook on everything than I did. And, and, and so I just had to use his voice to tell how he was seeing things and my voice, how I saw it. But this goes back and forth between uh, us. And it says it's the incredible true story of a homeless ex-con and a grieving millionaire thrown together to save each other. And there's a lot of surprises in here that's not in the movie. It's not in the other book. It just tells, of, I mean, how do you throw in a schizophrenic, ex-con, killer, uh, addict, move him into your home and expect him to obey when he doesn't read or write or even know how to tell time. Right. And it's very exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I would love to hear your advice for somebody, um, which really, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of all of us. We've all been here a little bit. But somebody who has felt like they have done wrong by the people in their lives or just, you know, not lived into their faith the way that they said they did. They're doing the tithes, but not living the life and they feel bad about it, but they're not sure what the next right step is. Well, it only takes one step to turn around. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, 
And that's a, that's a quick fix. You know, it's just when you can see how beautiful it can become. Most people give up. They lose hope. Denver had lost all hope. But there are a lot of people out there willing to love you. There are people there. Uh, I was had a, a terrible relationship with my father, as you can tell in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Denver, before he would move in with me, told me I had to go back and reconcile with my father. He used his same words that he used in Debbie's funeral when he said, you got your daddy's got a lot of hell in him. You just need to go bless the hell out of him. And you're going to find the man inside there that you always wanted to love. And so I did. I began blessing the hell out of my 89-year-old father. And he became my best friend for the last two years of his life. And I write about that in a new book that I'm uh, working on now. We're actually trying to write a screenplay and make that in a film. Uh, hopefully John Boyle will want to play the part because oh. he loved playing the part with uh, of, of my father in our film, same kind of different as me. But we're also working on it, maybe doing a TV series huh? that tells the whole story of Denver and me and 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 our uh, the relationship and the backstories of all of it, and do maybe a, a ten part TV series, uh, as well as we're working on a Broadway play uh, with William Morris Agency in New York uh, to oh, tell uh, so ours in kind of a uh, from Denver's perspective, uh, a, a kind of a musical. Uh, play a rap play the writer that's working on our play is the one that discovered hip-hop theater uh, for Hamilton and all that so well Ron you are but he is not slowing down he's not slowing down at all um I want to hear one final lesson too just about working with the homeless so many people you know will maybe throw a little bit of money at the homeless population to help out which is absolutely nothing wrong with that um at all but um but by and large, people aren't taking the time to get to know people and their circumstances and their hearts who, you know, these people who, who happen to, you know, not have a physical home. And as you corrected us earlier, I guess all of us are a little bit homeless, right? Or as yes, Denver corrected us earlier. I don't recommend earlier. anybody uh, bring a homeless man from the streets <laughs> but, into their home. But, but <laughs> what did you, what did you learn through that process? Just about what kind of humanity type lessons? Well, I learned, all these I learned from my friend Denver. He told me uh, on the, when I first met him, he said, most of y'all, look at us and see us as a problem. He said, but when God sees us, he sees us as an opportunity for the faithful to show his love. Mm. And he said, uh, uh, well, he told me a a lot of things that really uh, impacted me. Uh, One day I was walking the streets with him and I was talking about the guy. I said, that guy is so drunk that he, uh, you know, he can't even stand up. I mean, why doesn't he go to the mission and get his life together? And Denver told me, and he said, Mr. Ron, look down the street. What do you see? I said, I see the courthouse. He said, you sure do. He said, let me tell you, that courthouse is full of judges, and God ain't looking for no more of them. He said, God is looking for servants. So if you're going to walk the streets with me, you come as a servant and not as a judge. Uh, and he said, you leave your judge's robe hanging in your closet. Uh, uh, we can all so, do that. So uh, I've learned not to judge people, and I've learned to engage them in a conversation and find out just really that's the one of the most beautiful things you can do for a homeless person. I know we don't have a lot of time. We pull up a street corner and they're standing there and you give them $5. But if you do, you can always ask them, what is your name? Mm-hmm. I want to pray for you that someone will come along to help you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really one of the important things that you can do. I think the other thing that, that seems to be unique to Denver once once your relationship got going with him was that instead of him writing you off, for example, like thinking internally, wow, Ron's really judgmental. You know, he's mm-hmm. instead of just thinking that and then 
Xing out your friendship. He told you. There's such lesson in that because we all do things that we don't realize are um, maybe offensive to somebody or hurtful to somebody or they are coming from a wrong place. We don't know that they are. Yeah. And on the other person, they just cut us off instead of saying, hey, hold on a minute. Where is that coming from? And having a discussion and, and allowing the friendship to blossom. That's a true friendship. And I don't know that all of us have a true friendship like that where you can kind of call somebody out <laughs> and be able to move forward. Well, one of the first days I was sitting on the curb with him at, at what I call the University of Denver. He looked at me and he said, you one of them Christians? And briefly, I thought he might have seen a halo over my head or something like you that. You were feeling very holy. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, uh, yes, I am. Why do you want to know? He said, well, there's something about you Christians that bothers all of us people out here on the streets. And I said, what is that? He said, why is it that all you Christians worship one homeless man on Sunday, then turn your back on the first one you see on Monday? He said, Mr. Fair. Ron. You never know whose eyes God is watching you out of, and it ain't going to be your preacher or your Sunday school teacher. He said, it might be a fellow that looked like me. Now, it ain't me, he said, but it might be a fellow that looked like me. God's checking you out to see what kind of person that you really are. Fair, right? Very fair. Um, Ron, thank you so much for doing this again. Third time's a charm. I loved our chat. Please tell everybody, you know, where they can find you, where they can follow along, get the new book, all that kind of stuff. Oh, well, you know, we... <laughs> All the places. <laughs> Ron Hall uh, uh, on uh, Facebook, uh, Ronnie Ray Hall, Ron R. Hall. Uh, you, uh, same kind of different as me, our same kind of different as me foundation, um, all kinds of things. Ron Hall Gallery in Dallas. We have, uh, uh, if you Google just Ron, Ron Hall, Hall. It's just yes. <laughs> find out what aspect you want to know. I'm easy uh, to find. My telephone's number is always posted <laughs> on something. I get called all day long. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I've really enjoyed our chat, Ron. Thank you so much. And uh, to everybody who's just been pouring into these episodes and following along and sharing, we thank you so much. We really like do this part of the show as a way to lift people up, give some sort of human connection. If you like the episode, share it and, and tag us and we will repost and share about you as well. You know, if Heath was here, he would be shaming you and he would be saying, leave a rating and review. He's not here. So speaking through Heath, <laughs> he's saying, leave a rating and review. And, and all that does, it's not to like pump up our egos. It allows our show to be more visible to more people and help more people. You can always find us at secondshotpodcast.com. We invite you to join our private Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash secondshotpodcast or on Instagram, instagram.com slash secondshotpodcast. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>